We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. They're going to kill the love of my life. Daisy! If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday... Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Derek Van Riper here with Mike Doria. Got a great episode lined up. We're going to talk about Mike Draft from the online championship, the Rotowire online championships, part of the NFFC uh, 12 team contest we're running in conjunction with the good folks over there. So we're going to get Mike's team. We're going to get some thoughts on how his draft went down. We'll talk a little bit about the way that league is structured. We're going to talk about that in detail, actually, on the Friday episode uh, with Vlad Sedler. We'll talk about the main event, some of the other stuff the NFFC does. So it kind of ties in nicely to what we've got on tap for tomorrow. If you listen to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, you could please leave us a review. We'd greatly appreciate that. Uh, Mike, let's start by diving into some top news before we start looking at your team. Uh, Devin Funches, arguably the Panthers' most impressive performer during training camp. This according to ESPN's David Newton. Are you concerned that as a result of Funches being there in year two and looking good, that Kelvin Benjamin may fall short of the numbers he posted as a rookie? Because the expectation for many people is that Benjamin can come back and just do what he did that year, if not more, coming off a torn ACL. But I don't really know where those targets are going to come from. And Jericho Cotri's gone. Ted Ginn will probably get less. Maybe they scale back Greg Olson a little, but there's a lot of targets that Kelvin Benjamin piled up two years ago that may not be there in 2016. Well, I mean, Funches is, is a guy that was uh, hyped a little bit last year, and um, I guess he wasn't quite ready for it at that stage. But I think at this stage of his development, he's certainly ready to to take the next step forward. 
Um, I think that he's definitely a nice, nice dart in, uh, you know, mid to later rounds. Uh, that's probably where he's going at the stage. Um, I'm not necessarily targeting him, uh, aggressively, but if he falls and, and it starts getting into, uh, you know, for lack of a, a better player to make fun of, you know, Eddie Royal territory or something like that, I'm obviously going to take Funches over a mediocre veteran, but, uh, as it relates to Kelvin Benjamin, um, there's this new assumption that that people players can just bounce back from the ACL injuries seamlessly, and while some have, it's not necessarily a given. Now, in the case of Benjamin, um, there's been talk that in training camp he's been battling with some conditioning issues. I wouldn't overreact to that, but uh, it's a little bit of a red flag. And generally speaking, especially at this time of the year, until I've seen these guys that are coming off the serious injuries actually do do some stuff against top competition. I'm a little bit hesitant, and um, I mean, it, it is reflected in all the drafts that I've done to date. And um, Kelvin Benjamin is not a guy that I was targeting in any of my drafts uh, up up till now because he's been going in a slot that you would normally place a player who is has no health concerns, not coming back from anything bad. Um, so, I mean, he he could come back just fine, but uh, there's enough of a worry for me there to to not go after him. The current ADP, if you're looking at the NFFC, is 33 overall. I mean, that's a late third-round pick in a 12-team league, kind of a mid-third-round pick if you're in a 14-teamer. I'd rather have Jeremy Macklin, who's going a couple picks later. Uh, I'd rather have uh, Doug Baldwin. I think I'd rather have him, too, to be honest. So it is kind of near where the tier break is at wide receiver for me, but at the same time, there's enough there where I'm not paying the current price to get Kelvin Benjamin, and Devin Funches is part of the reason why but I, I do think there are limitations with what Funches could do as a result of how that offense is built I don't really see Carolina coming out this year and throwing it 600 times instead of 500 times maybe right. we'll see a slight increase in attempts from Cam Newton but if, if anything it'd be 525 530 it'd, it'd be a handful of attempts per game of an increase as opposed to hey eight to ten more attempts per game they're not going to completely change the look of that offense unless maybe unless Jonathan Stewart gets hurt if Jonathan Stewart goes down, I don't know if I like any of the backup running backs there enough to look at them as a team that will run it as much as they have in the past. Yeah, there's uh, some like deep league excitement about Cameron Artis Payne, um, but uh, Jonathan Stewart, yeah, he's he's a guy that just seems to get injured all the time. Right now, that doesn't seem to be a problem. He, he is coming back from some some issues, uh, you know, last year and and, uh, and early on, um, you know, in the off season, but. Uh, Jonathan Stewart's a guy that's actually been falling to a kind of soft spot in drafts where like uh, people are just writing him off. Uh, you know, he's kind of the only show in town and has been since D'Angelo Williams left. Um, I mean, unless, of course, you're an artist pain believer, but I think they have a level of trust in Stewart that he's going to get a you know decent amount of carries as long as he can handle them yeah. in, a, in a team that likes to run a lot. And that includes the quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I would think. Jonathan Stewart with health gets over 220 carries this season. I mean, he's going to be heavily worked because Cameron Artis Payne hasn't shown a lot. I mean, they've really just Fozzie Whitaker still there. Tolbert still hanging around. Like they just don't have anything of interest right now forcing the issue in that backfield. Let's move on to the chiefs. Jamal Charles made it through a complete practice Thursday. He's not going to play Saturday in the Chiefs' second preseason game. ADP has been pretty strong on Charles all along. He's coming off his second career ACL tear. Uh, there is this belief too, that with ACLs for a player who's gone through the recovery process before that they have a, a good understanding of what kind of rehab they're up against. And as a result, they know how they can push themselves. So maybe in some ways, a second tear has led people to have more confidence in Charles if than if he'd just torn it for the first time. Are you taking him late part of round two, early part of round three where he's been going? Because he's pretty consistently right there about around pick 25. That seems about right for me. I, I still tend to veer away from the a, ACL guys uh, un, until I see something. I mean, he's, he, as you mentioned, he's not playing in uh, the second week of the preseason. I don't know if we're actually going to see him in the preseason. And if so, you know, I'm sure it's going to be a very small sample size. The, the one thing to draw on is that, yes, he, this is not his first uh, ACL tear that he's coming back from. And though I don't have the numbers in front of me, I believe that he re- he's one of the players that was exceptional in his return from his first ACL. Um, so, that, you know, he's got that history of coming back well from it. Uh, 
but again, I, I, every, every serious knee injury is different. You, you know, it, it's not going to, the, the level of damage, you know, we can't presume it to be identical or anything like that. You know, he's a little bit older. Um, the team has signed his backups to decent contracts. So even, even if he is back up to speed, I would imagine that they're going to do some things to maybe reduce his workload um, to, you know, make, maintain his health throughout the season, keep him fresh. Um, so he's a guy that I'm not targeting. If he falls to a certain level where I'm looking at running backs that I I just think are in committees or don't like their upside, then then I'm starting to look at Jamal Charles as, as, as a guy I'm, I'm going to target. But, like, definitely – it's sometimes it's to my detriment, but I really avoid players coming back from serious injuries until I, you know, they pass the eye test for me. I generally do that too. I mean, I haven't picked up Jordy Nelson outside of a best ball league. And even then I took more receivers after him than I would have otherwise, because I'm not completely sure he's going to be the guy we saw before he got hurt, at least in the beginning part of the season, maybe by the end of the year, he'll start to regain that form, but it may take him some time, especially with the time he missed during training camp. And you've probably read every word written about Jordy Nelson since his injury as a Packers guy, but like uh, some of the teams, you just don't hear that much about these guys. Um, You know, Le'Veon Bell, you know, he also has the suspension uh, looming, but like his uh, knee recovery was not going, you know, the way that a lot of people expected. And we just weren't getting a lot of details from the Steelers, which is typical. I mean, the Patriots are famous for not being forthcoming with injury reports, but the Steelers are another team that uh, they don't talk about stuff unless they have to. And um, yeah, so it's just the the different levels of information that come out about these players, um, you know, that can factor in as well. Let's move on to the Broncos quarterback situation. Trevor Simeon has been taking the first team reps in practice this week. It's going to start the second preseason game. To me, this doesn't even seem real. I, I keep thinking Mark Sanchez is going to be the guy, but they pretty clearly see something in Denver in Trevor Simeon that we just don't really get a chance to see because a lot of it's happening in practice. And, and they kind of showed us last year. They didn't need to have quality play at quarterback to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. But this seems like they're really, really kind of pushing the envelope this year as far as how they've handled the position. Paxton Lynch not quite being ready. And then Simeon really just battling Mark Sanchez for the job. Do you believe the Broncos are actually considering Trevor Simeon as their week one starter? I suppose they are. Um, I don't think that that, that's going to be the outcome, but I think they do need to sort of prep him in case Sanchez gets hurt. I I, I do think that they're going to hand the the keys to to Sanchez, but they're, they're both just kind of keeping the, you know, keeping the bench warm for Paxton Lynch, as he said, and uh, rather than go out and get a guy that, uh, with upside or a, or a veteran that might get locked into the job, it seems like they've they've thrown kind of a journeyman journeyman uh, veteran and a uh, a rookie or not a rookie but a a, a guy that was like a late round uh, draft pick, pretty unheralded. I mean, even Osweiler was a second rounder, and I, I believe uh, Simeon was a seventh round pick. So uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of investment there, you know, in those guys, and they're they're just gonna like you know, use the same formula, adequate quarterback play supported by solid run and strong defense. And then it wouldn't surprise me if Lynch, you know, started getting starts toward the end of the season. I I don't know if he's going to get a full red shirt year. Yeah, I I don't don't think so either. I think by week nine, week 10, we could see Paxton Lynch working his way into the starting lineup in Denver. Uh, Also from the confusing news items folder, Daryl Bevel, Seahawks offensive coordinator who confuses me all the time, I think he's just messing with us, suggesting that Kristen Michael and Thomas Rawls could actually work in some kind of timeshare like that to me just floors me because Kristen Michael in previous opportunities with Seattle really didn't impress. Like always had the physical tools that were intriguing, but never seemed to be the player they thought they had. And this time around, by all accounts, things are different. You got Rawls coming off the ankle injury. Is this more of just Bevel kind of making it seem as though Michael has a path to a significant role to begin the season, or do you see them becoming a team that leans more on two running backs? Well, you, you turn back the clock. Once upon a time, the Seahawks really liked Kristen Michael. Wasn't he a second-round pick? He was. And then whatever happened, happened. He just, you know, Lynch kept on being Lynch, and, and Michael did not develop at the rate that they, they wanted him to. Turbin was still around. 
and they eventually, you know, they cut him. They 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 cut bait with him. So it's kind of surprising that, you know, in his uh, second turn with the team, that he's now being looked at uh, in so much higher regard. But yeah, I mean, you know, from all accounts, he's he's improved, uh, you know, preparation wise and, and and things things of that nature. But there's one thing that um, you didn't mention there, and it's that the Seahawks drafted three running backs this uh, this this spring, and so on the one hand that kind of signals that they may not have been completely sold on Rawls to be to begin with maybe it was that there was concern over the injury that they weren't like you know articulating at the time uh but i think that uh you know they're open to to new uh to new methods there now that they can't just hand the ball to lynch uh, until you know he falls down maybe even seattle was surprised by what thomas rawls did last year i mean in in all reality they probably weren't expecting more than five yards of carry from anybody other than maybe marshawn lynch yeah well i think going into the preseason uh, michael was you know once again considered maybe the favorite to uh to take that number two role but uh quickly uh things changed rawls looked good um and then uh, you know all the things that happened that led to him uh, having an opportunity last year and you know why well he didn't exactly duplicate uh marshawn lynch uh production and and style of running he was a good fit for the seattle offense when healthy but again they drafted three running backs so you know it's it's clearly a position that they're in transition with right now yeah could give you some pause as far as taking thomas rawls in the top i don't know 55 60 picks or so it's typically where i've seen him go over the last few weeks uh one more item from the wtf folder do you view gronk and martellus bennett as interchangeable i saw an article from uh, mike reese longtime patriots beat writer covers the team now for for espn do you do you think it's really like that where bennett's going to somehow eat into gronk's production or do you see it just being a case where scheme wise they're going to tight ends and because they have a lot of injuries right now at receiver bennett's just going to help pick up the slack well, the interchangeable thing is not necessarily that they they're the exact same player, but they they do have some similar basic traits. Big can get open, can run after the catch, uh, can block, thing, things like that. And they're both very dangerous in the in, in the red zone. So, I mean, Martellus Bennett becomes a, a fantasy star if anything happens to Gronkowski. Uh, I think Gronkowski may lose you know, the odd uh, red zone look there uh, with Bennett in the mix. But I, I, I don't think it's enough to to take him away from the, the top tier that is his own in the tight end uh, category. Uh, Bennett Bennett is a good complementary tight end as long as uh, in, in fantasy, as long as Gronkowski is healthy and then suddenly vaults, you know, to elite status if anything happens to Gronkowski. Um, you know, back when the Patriots were running the two tight end sets with uh, Gronk and, and Aaron Hernandez, um I mean, that was a, a mismatch and a headache for defensive coordinators. And I think they're kind of, even though um, Bennett's not that type of player necessarily, they're just trying to go for something that's going to be very difficult to defend against. Um, I'm, I wouldn't say that their their wideout core is, is mediocre, but they there's not a whole lot of size there, um, you know, with some of their guys. I mean, Chris Hogan's the newcomer from uh, who they signed away from Buffalo. At, I believe he's a six one or six two, and uh, he's got some size. But uh, generally, it's uh, it's guys like Edelman and Amendola running around, and and you know maybe uh, Malcolm Mitchell. So it's it's just good to have those two hulking targets that uh, can do damage in the middle of the field in the end zone. I guess I've been looking at it where I could see Bennett maybe taking away a few red zone targets from a guy like Julian Edelman. You know, like he could be the one that loses out on some opportunities in close because Gronk and Bennett should be on the field together, especially when they're in close. They're going to be on the field a lot anyway. At the same time, I saw in that Reese article, they suggested as much as 80% of the time, the Patriots may roll out a two tight end set. So with that, I think Bennett can be a useful like a low end tight end one, kind of a high end tight end two sort of player, even if Gronk is healthy, as you suggested. Nobody ever gets in their car thinking, I'm drunk, I'm driving, and I'm going to kill someone tonight. They might think, I've had a few drinks, but I'm okay to drive, or I live a few minutes from here, or I've gotten away from the, gotten away with this plenty of times before. And they think like that right up until the moment they kill someone. Thousands of people are killed in drunk driving crashes every year. It's better to be safe than sorry. Download the free Safer Ride app to help you call a taxi or send a friend your location when you've been drinking. 
drive sober, or get pulled over. Now it's time for our safe sleeper pick sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Many of us will be downing beers at our fantasy football drafts, which leads to bad decisions in the later rounds or worse decisions like getting behind the wheel after the draft. Today's safe sleeper pick, Mike, it's Rashard Matthews, the ADP 153 right now in the NFFC. And with Doriel Green Beckham gone, things are a lot less crowded in Tennessee. This is a player they plucked intentionally from Miami in free agency if you buy into marcus Mariota at all as a quarterback who can improve in year two someone has to reap the benefits behind delaney walker i think delaney walker is going to get his from the tight end spot but to me it's not kendall right it's a guy like matthews who's much more explosive yeah i mean if you look at the uh the receiving stats last year for the titans i think that whatever matthews did in miami would have he would have led the titans um and Delaney Walker, uh, as a tight end, I believe led the team in receiving there. And so, yeah, there is, there is some upside there. They, they, they cleared a, a little bit of a path by getting, getting rid of uh, green Beckham. Um, I mean, obviously that's a team that, you know, between a mobile quarterback and then like, you know, two, two very talented running backs, it seems like they're going to, you know, pound the ball a lot. And, and there's some term that's out there on the internet, exotic smash mouth football, um, <laughs> So, you know, like, I don't think that there's a huge upside in the Tennessee, you know, passing game outside of maybe Walker. But like you said, somebody's got to be the number one wideout. Someone, you know, someone's going to be the top target. Someone's going to be the number two wideout target. And in a PPR league uh, or just, you know, if you're looking for depth at wideout, you go you go to guys that are on the field um, more often than not uh, for your for your bottom end production there. 10.9 yards per target last season for Rashard Matthews in Miami caught 43 passes. 10 went for 20 or more yards Four went for 40 or more yards. So you can certainly see him getting behind DBs and making some big plays in year one in Tennessee. That's something they really didn't have in that offense last year either. All right. So we're going to dive into Mike's uh, Rotowire online fantasy football championship draft. Uh, This went down about a week or so ago, right? This is last week, uh, last Wednesday night. So about a week. And I I would say about the only thing that context wise that's changed significantly is that Ladarius Green has suddenly gone from a guy destined to replace Heath Miller, you know, bouncing back from an ankle injury, but expected to be fine to like this, this shroud of mystery around him. Now that there's talk that he might be dealing with lingering headaches and, Again, the, the Steelers aren't really opening up about that, but he's still on PUP, and uh, uh, it's time to start thinking about Jesse James a little bit. But yeah, other than that, this I would say this draft would probably play out roughly the same if it, would, if it were to take place today. Yeah, I don't think Green would have much of a butterfly effect on the overall uh, draft board, even though there is significantly less interest now than there was a week ago, given what we know now about where he's at health-wise. Now, you ended up with the third overall pick, and... In all NFFC leagues, you have what's called Kentucky Derby style draft spot selection where you rank all the different draft positions, one through 12, in the order of preference. The system randomly draws a team and then you get the highest available remaining preference on your list. The other wrinkle, of course, to full point PPR, but there's also a third round reversal. So the team that picks first in round two also picks first in round three and then from there it goes through the typical snake draft order so everything is a little bit off when you look at the uh, results grids just you got to realize that three is going from right to left instead of from left to right as you read a grid like that so how did you rank your draft slot preferences for the 12 team format accounting for the way the nffc typically plays yeah obviously it's a little bit different every year but it it is kind of a fun exercise to like look at it and you know come up with like a a, a distinct first round tier and i definitely you know looked at it and thought well i'd be very happy with one of the top four picks and then after that if i didn't get one of the top four picks then it'd be kind of cool to be be at the back end of the the uh the order and 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 take advantage of that reversal so i don't exactly remember my order now that's uh that i put in but i i think i i did um one uh three two four and then 12 and then kind of work back from 12 up to five yeah because i thought i mean the only no-brainer for me probably would have been antonio brown at one and then after that uh at two or three you know i I was either going to go with beckham or Gurley. uh julio jones uh, you know if i landed the number four pick that would have been a no-brainer for me so 
after that though, that's, that's when I would have paused and, and, you know, started either maybe reaching for a Ezekiel Elliott or, you know, David Johnson might be a conventional pick there too. But, uh, it, it became less obvious to me after four who I would pick. So that's, I, I loaded it up with the top four. And then after that, went immediately for the for the later picks in my request list yeah so i typically would probably set up my kds the same way in terms of my preferences going kind of i'd probably go four to one working backwards all the way through but going one three two four or something along those lines not really a big difference for me as far as how that is ultimately going to play out uh in part though because i want to be a little earlier in the order in rounds two and three so that's why my preference to be four over one actually is something I would consider to be sort of a toss up, but you went girly over Julio. And I think if you look at most NFFC draft boards, because of the full point PPR, the three receivers, Brown Beckham and Jones go in those first three mm-hmm. spots. Then we see girly typically go at number four. Why girly over Julio in this format? I mean, it was kind of a close call, uh, but I, I just decided that, uh, you know, one of my strategies, generally speaking in, in this sort of draft is to try to have, elite and top options at uh, at least a couple of positions, if not more. And I just felt like uh, this year's running back class, there was not a whole lot. um, You know, if if I didn't take Gurley in that, in that slot, I was probably going to end up with my top running back being somebody I, I had issues with. So yeah, Julio Jones would have been a great pick, but I, I, I just wanted to, to get that like, running back who I think is this year's, you know, home run pick. Uh, it's a little bit on the obvious side, but, uh, you know, Gurley, you, you know, a top draft pick uh, last year. He was coming back from a serious injury. He, he did well enough in his, uh, in his time, you know, with the Rams last year. And I just think that he's in an offense where he – it's going to have to run through him. I mean, they're either going to go with a, a, a sort of, you know, mediocre – quarterback that's been uh, floating around for a while or an unproven rookie i mean eventually the rook- the rookie's going to get the job but i i i just think that that's going to be a, a run heavy team and if you look at the depth chart there uh, i mean benny cunningham is kind of a you know profiles as a change of pace pass you know pass catching kind of guy but like they're just going to have to give the ball to Gurley tons and uh you know now that he's further past that injury i think he's got the fresh legs and he's always had the talent so i just I just see him as the kind of guy that you really aggressively target kind of as we did when Adrian Peterson was in his prime. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of similarities in the sense that the Rams will use Gurley in a way very similar to how the Vikings have used Peterson, the way that roster, that offense is constructed uh, very similar to a lot of the Minnesota offenses we've seen over the years with AP really being the focal point with less than stellar quarterback play and with, receivers that maybe leave quite a bit uh, to be desired so certainly I, I see the case for it and then how it comes together is is all all important as far as you know what happens to your receiver if you don't take one in round one and i think as as we'll see that's probably your, your greatest position of need either in that you'll need uh, a couple guys that you targeted as your wide receivers two and three to really step up or you'll have to cash into the waiver wire when something big happens, some surprise emerges, you're going to have to be the guy that goes out, breaks the fab piggy bank and, and reels that player in. But you started with Gurley, you got Jeffrey in round two, Doug Martin in round three. So two backs in the first three picks. It's a great spot to be in and that you don't have to worry about the running back position each and every week. You've got the flexibility to cycle through your receivers and your flex options for the other spot. And getting depth at running back is is kind of easy. Getting you know, quality options in the middle rounds, if you wait, has proven to be a little bit difficult in some of the drafts I've done. Uh, you went quarterback pretty early in this one. You know, after Gurley, Jeffrey, and Martin, you got Aaron Rodgers in round four. That was coming back through uh, the 39th overall pick. Have you had success going quarterbacks early in high stakes leagues like this in the past? Typically, no. I, typically, I don't jump on the uh, the, the quarterbacks even that early. Uh, I, I looked at uh, my NFC draft last year and um, the first two quarterbacks were uh, Luck and Rogers taken in, in, in round two. So in last year's draft, uh, there, there was, there was uh, opponents of mine that were, you know, more aggressively seeking out the quarterbacks. And, and in this case, I was definitely not targeting Rogers with that pick. And that was very much a, a product of, of my draft board. Um, if, if you look at it closely, um, the, the three picks before, 
um, the, the the Rogers picks were were wideouts, and that was essentially my draft board. So I was kind of like looking at taking one of those players, one of those wideouts, um, and I kind of got stuck in the position where like now I'm looking at f- about five wideouts that I think are kind of all roughly the same, or a chance to have the choice of any quarterback in the draft and create you know that uh, situation I was talking about before, like a su- where I have the if not the top, one of the very top players at a position. So though it wasn't my my strategy, the flow of the draft led me to that pick. And I, I strongly considered Cam Newton as well, but I just felt like, you know, health-wise, um, composition of the offense-wise, that Aaron Rodgers would, would be the pick for me there. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense because Dante Moncrief, Jeremy Macklin, Eric Decker, all guys you probably would have considered if they were still available going in those first three picks right before you. But that first team started off with four consecutive receivers, which when you start three in a flex could make a lot of sense. I actually like that foundation, Brown, Watkins, Moncrief, and Macklin. But the question is, when you do that, can you find the right running backs to fill in uh, over the course of the season? Uh, so you, you get Rodgers, you lock him in. You got Travis Kelsey in round five. And to me, there's a big tier break after Travis Kelsey. You're either going to invest early in tight end with one of Gronk, Olsen, or Kelsey. Some people like Jordan Reed. I've talked a lot about my concerns uh, with the concussions he's dealt with over his career. He's been a very banged up player throughout his time in Washington. So I stay away from Jordan Reed at his current price. But to get Travis Kelsey late in round five seems like tremendous value because he's the kind of guy that can score from anywhere on the field. He has breakaway speed that's rare for the tight end position. And I think to for him to ever get double-digit touchdowns, he needs that because the Chiefs are not a team that want Alex Smith throwing the ball often in the red zone. And I think that's the thing that can hold Kelsey back at times. But the yardage, the TDs, to me, there's still one more level there because of what Kelsey brings to the table. Yeah, I was pretty pretty happy with that pick. And I, I think uh, by the middle of that round, I was, I was hoping that he would fall to me just because obviously if you don't get Gronkowski and he went uh, in the second round with the, I believe the seventh pick in the second round of this draft, uh, then you're looking at, as you said, Jordan Reed, who, for the same reason that, that you stated, uh, while I'm not going to necessarily not draft him, I'm not targeting him as high as he tends to go or, or pay as much for him as you need to pay in auctions. I mean, he's coming off a great year, obviously, but uh, yeah, definitely worried about his injury history. And then, then after that, there is like a, uh, I guess, a second tier that like includes Greg Olson, uh, Kelsey. Uh, you could maybe argue on, uh, you know, Colby Fleener, even Delaney Walker. Uh, but I, out of that tier, um, I liked Fle- uh, Kelsey just slightly more than, than any of those other options. A little bit more proven, you know, established a pretty solid rapport last year with, with Alex Smith. There's not a, a whole lot going on um, pass catching wise uh, in, in, you know, in terms of the receivers and fellow tight ends other than Macklin there. So it's, there's pretty, pretty nice floor for both Macklin and Kelsey. And I like that. Uh, you know, like if you're if you're like throwing the uh, the upside dart, you might just want to say, hey, Kobe Fleener, he's going to catch passes from uh, Drew Brees, who uh, kind of made Ben Watson a star last year. Uh, but, yeah, I think that Kelsey was was a good pick there. And t- tight end is definitely, I guess, in a 12 team league, it's not quite as uh, barren. But if you're in a 14 or a 16 team league, I, I think that you really need to, you know, be very uh you know careful not to end up with uh the 10th 11th 12th best tight end because you're just going to have a headache at that position all year long i feel like that's generally the case unless it's gary barnage like gary barnage to me people should buy into what this guy did last year because even with Corey coleman there and josh gordon back it's going to be a better offense as a whole and i think you might see the yardage come down but i think the td output could still be there pretty consistently from Gary Barnage. It's possible, but he, he came out of nowhere. He was, that was definitely a rags to riches story. Fantasy wise. Uh, a lot of his context has changed. Um, you know, that it could, he could end up being the stable force, you know, the, the last bastion of the, uh, 2015, uh, Browns passing offense. But, uh, you know, I don't mind Gary Barnage, but I, I don't trust him to repeat that, you know, new quarterback, essentially new wideouts surrounding him. Um, they, you know, their backfield isn't like awesome, but I, I think that they complement each other relatively well, you know, Crowell and Duke Johnson. Um, 
yeah, I I don't mind Gary Barnage as like a you know a very good tight end backup, but I I, I I'd rather go with someone a little bit more upside um, or you know proven upside than him right now as my starter. That's what the market seems to think of him too. I, I seem to be the, the high man in the room on Gary Barnage most of the time. I mentioned the receiving core maybe being the weakness, and of course if you go. You know, running back receiver, but then running back quarterback tight end. You are chasing receivers later. You get your second one with Marvin Jones in round six and your third later with Vincent Jackson in the eighth. And with Marvin Jones, I mean, he was behind A.J. Green, missed a year with an injury in Cincinnati. And there's been some buzz that Jones has looked like the Lions number one receiver during camp, I don't know if that's necessarily going to hold up in terms of, of Jones getting more targets than Golden Tate. But if you think the Lions are going to continue to sling it as often as they have in these last couple seasons and as effectively as they did last year, once they made the change at offensive coordinator, I mean Marvin Jones should be pretty stable as a guy you get in round six of these drafts. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I, I think that Golden Tate's uh, role is going to remain somewhat stable um, and they basically had to figure out a way to replace Calvin Johnson. And I'm not suggesting that Marvin Jones is a, is a one-to-one replace with there. That's going to be kind of a committee thing. Uh, you know, they're hoping for improvement from a uh, tight end, Eric Ebron. Uh, they brought in Anquan Bolden, but, uh, I remember being impressed with Marvin Jones, the, uh, the year that he scored 10 touchdowns and he's, you know, he's got size, decent red zone presence there. And I just think that, that he's going to produce in that offense. Um, yeah, I mean, I th- believe that Bolden had already signed with the Lions by the, by the time this draft rolled around, and that slightly tempered my enthusiasm. But before that, I was extremely high on Jones. Um, I mean, I think that's en- going to end up being one of the better bangs for the free agent buck uh, in, in this year's crop of free agents uh, when you know we look at uh, <laughs> the investments that teams made. I think that the Lions made a good one there, and uh, some of the other teams might regret some of the overpayments they made in free agency. But I think... I think it's a good fit, and I think uh, I think he's ready to bounce back and uh, put up the kind of numbers that he did in his, his finest year with the Bengals. Now looking a little further down at how this came together, Frank Gore in the seventh, kind of the flex or third running back for you, depending on how things shake out with the rest of your roster. What's your best case scenario with Frank Gore? I mean, is it that he could be a steady RB2 for you if one of your other guys goes down, or do you see him more as uh, just a flex guy that you like because with a healthy Andrew Luck, the Colts should spend significantly more time in the red zone this year. Uh, yeah, definitely. I wasn't, uh, you know, picturing him as my, my number two back. Uh, obviously you point out the fact that something could happen to Gurley or Martin, and then I would uh, be forced to consider that. But I, I like having a, a running back or at least an option of a running back who's going to get consistent touches as a, as a flex, as a flex play early on. And um, a couple rounds later, I, I picked Derrick Henry and I feel like, Maybe Derrick Henry might not be worthy of a, a, a lineup slot early on, but uh, by midseason, he he could be my either RB2 or my flex play. And, and Gore is kind of an early season, so, somewhat boring, but at least steady placeholder for, for, for that flex spot. And then, um, as you pointed out, my uh, wideout core is not exactly brimming. So I've got a couple wideouts that I that I feel good about starting, and I'm, and basically – just going to patch together a wide out core, you know, ho- hopefully Vincent Jackson, um, you know, is adequate as my third wide out and then just be very aggressive in free agency when outliers that didn't get drafted this, I mean, with the, with the draft this early, there's going to be some guys in the free agent pool at every position, but notably wide out that are going to be, you know, ready, ready to be uh, bid on and uh, inserted in the lineup in week one. I mean, Jackson's part of what should be a very productive Tampa Bay passing game. And a lot of people like Mike Evans as a top 15, top 20 overall type player. But Jackson should benefit from Evans drawing more of the attention as far as their pass catchers go. Uh, Chris Hogan was your 11th round pick. Kind of comes in at your number four receiver spot. How has he meshed so far in New England? I mean, you, you cover the Patriots for the site, aside from being like the day-to-day football editor knowing everything about the news and what's going on around the league. What's the buzz been about Chris Hogan thus far this preseason? Well, he's, uh, he's has the, uh, the <laughs> used to have the nickname seven 11 cause he was always open. And, uh, 
you know, he's he's kind of living up to that billing, you know, that there's been some positive buzz about him um, in training camp. Uh, I mean, I think at worst, he's what Brandon, Brandon LaFell was the first year that Brandon LaFell was with the Patriots and, and was probably in fantasy, you could say, in most situations, a pretty solid, uh, you know, number three wide out. So I think that that's probably his floor. I mean, uh, a lot depends on Julian Edelman, the targets that he gets. I'm not, I'm not saying that the Hogan would be the direct backup to Julian Edelman. Danny Amendola is still around to kind of serve in that role. They drafted Malcolm Mitchell. There's talk that he's, uh, you know, definitely in their long-term plans. But uh, I think Chris Hogan is just the, other than Julian Edelman, I think that he probably has the steadiest path to target to the Patriots' offense among the receivers. So I just felt that, um, you know, at that stage of the draft, if anything happens to Edelman, Hogan would benefit from extra targets. And even if Edelman is fine, uh, Hogan's a pretty solid, in my opinion, number four fantasy receiver with upside for more. I've been targeting him in best ball formats right now because I, I think it may be difficult to know when exactly his role is going to increase. It may take a few weeks into the season uh, before he's really productive, may even take the eventual return of Tom Brady to get Chris Hogan up to that wide, re- three, wide receiver three level that you mentioned. I mean, I, I like him as a player that new England kind of sought out quietly in free agency from Buffalo. Uh, as I've mentioned many times, he's a converted lacrosse player. He was not even a full-time football player during his time in college. Yeah, He's a good athlete, well-conditioned, um, knows how to get open. Um, I mean, there was definitely things, you know, about his makeup that the Patriots liked. And, um, I think he's a good fit. I mean, Brandon LaFell was a good fit too, but he then got proceeded to get hurt last year. Uh, and you know, they, they moved on rather quickly, but, uh, you know, they, they need that, that sort of bigger, stronger wideout option to go along with uh, Edelman and Amendola types, for yeah, sure. It, it makes sense based on personnel that they currently uh, have around him. They would seek him out, especially given the price, low price in free agency, kind of like Marvin Jones, uh, as far as being in the running for a player that could end up being one of the better free agent signings. Jones cost a lot more than Hogan did, but the Patriots generally are pretty smart with moves like this. Do you enjoy playing fantasy football for cash but are tired of the same game offerings or hosting sites keeping too much of the prize pool? If so, check out MaximumFantasySports.com. They offer a variety of season-long and DFS fantasy football leagues with features no other website has, and they pay out 90% of the prize pool. Does your state prevent you from playing in a DFS league and you're not interested in a full-season league? MFS runs monthly fantasy football leagues known as a four-week frenzy league, and those are available to you. Forget salary cap leagues and use the online draft for all of your full season and short team, short term leagues at MaximumFantasySports.com. If private leagues interest you, register your own redraft and keeper leagues using options like in-game player changes, multi-team trades, team quarterbacks, bi-week rollover, and more. You can even run your survivor pools, confidence pools, pick'em pools, and squares pools for free at MaximumFantasySports.com. Join today. A couple other questions pertaining to your draft, Mike, before we sign off. We talked about the draft position already and, and staying away from five, six, seven, and 8 if, if possible. I mean, if you had to pick somebody in that range, DeAndre Hopkins, Allen Robinson, A.J. Green, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Zeke Elliott, I mean, which player would you most want if you're in that middle part of the round one. Yeah. Like, like we were talking about earlier around five is where it starts getting a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say dicey, but it's just not as clear cut as maybe the top four are. And that's, I, I, I think the conventional wisdom might be David Johnson in a lot of formats. Um, in this particular draft, Deandre Hopkins went number five, but, uh, I might've, uh, maybe tried to go for the Todd Gurley light approach with Ezekiel Elliott. Um, Le'Veon Bell, especially in this format is, is fantastic, but he's got the, uh, the, the looming suspension. Uh, you know, we're, we're still not sure that that's actually going to go through, but you, you, you put that on top of the knee injury and, uh, you know, he suddenly falls a little bit, uh, but, uh, yeah, I like, I like the fresh legs of Ezekiel Elliott, um, David Johnson. And then after that, you know, there's the, the tier two receivers, um, they're all excellent. I mean, you got Hopkins, Allen Robinson, Des Bryant, Mike Evans, Brandon Cooks. Uh, but 
I have a hard time sorting that order out quickly. So therefore, I'd be happy with one of those guys at the very end of the first round rather than having to determine which one is the best option at number five or six. Yeah, for me, I mean, I think if I had to make the call, David Johnson probably would be the first choice from that bunch, but Allen Robinson would be my first choice from the receivers right after him because I think what he could do in Jacksonville this year could be very, very good again, especially, I mean, the the big play volume is probably coming down, but if he's making fewer big plays and they're still moving the chains, he might catch more passes in PPR that helps offset some of the yardage difference. So I, I look at Allen Robinson as yeah, a pretty special they, they player. They have a p- pretty solid uh, running attack this year. Uh, overall, more balanced offense. So that's generally that's good. But I think last year he, you know, they, they really focused on him and, and Allen Hearns a lot. And I think there's going to be a little bit more balance there. So that might impact him a little bit. Not, not too much, but uh, he's definitely <laughs> infinitely more valuable than he was this time last year when people were kind of like, who do you like better, uh, Alan Robinson or Marquise Lee? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it's hard to believe that was ever really a conversation, but maybe a reason to think about Marquise Lee as sort of a lottery ticket now that he's finally healthy. I will go rapid fire on these last few questions. They're all related to running backs because if you go receiver heavy early, you're going to have to backfill uh, Arian Foster early in round five in your draft. It's as early as I've seen Arian Foster go this draft season, do you think he will be productive enough to warrant that price tag? I do. Uh, and when this draft happened, uh, he had not been, uh, I mean, the ink was barely dry on his contract uh, with, with Dolphins. I mean, that's maybe a, a slight exaggeration, but I do think that uh, as long as he stays healthy for the rest of the summer and approaching week one, you know, you said a fifth round price tag for him. That's that, that, that looks pretty good. Um, I think in this draft it was a little bit aggressive and speculative, but I think that he's looked good enough in the preseason, and it, it's it's clear it's or at least in training camp, it's clear that the Dolphins were not entirely comfortable with a J, a J to begin with. They they drafted a running back, and then they went out and got Foster. So I think that he does have the opportunity to to seize that top role as long as he can reprove his health, and we all know what he can do when he's healthy. So. Yeah, why not? I mean, if he was pre-Achilles, you know, you're looking at, you know, a top 10 pick there. Yeah, that's the type of per-game production we've seen from Arian Foster for a long time. Isaiah Cruel in round six, drunk owner or is there something there? Well, I don't mind Isaiah Cruel, but yeah, I think that is a little bit, uh, it's a little bit uh, jumping the gun there, especially in a, you know, PPR format. I mean, Duke Johnson is going to kind of serve that role for, for the Browns. Um, looking at um, who went behind him, um, you know, D'Angelo Williams might get, you know, four starts out of the gate. Charles Sims, you know, pass catcher out of, out of the Bucks' backfield. Abdullah, uh, Jeremy Hill. I mean, I, I, it's hard for me to justify taking him over, you know, Jeremy Hill if you're looking for that sort of uh, bigger, you know, non-PPR type back. So, yeah, it... it not, not a bad player, but uh, I think, uh, you know, too high given given what was uh, available behind him. I mean, do you believe, looking at Melvin Gordon, who went in round eight, do you believe in a Melvin Gordon bounce back this year? Run blocking was a big problem for the Chargers a year ago. Gordon and Denny Woodhead both struggled as ball carriers. It seems like Melvin Gordon has the talent to be productive in the NFL, but if the line play is still bad, is is it worth taking that flyer right now on Melvin Gordon in round eight, if that ends up being the price in other drafts? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think that's that's a really nice slot for him. Whoever drafted him um, has a very nice uh, lottery ticket there. Um, I mean, basically, Melvin Gordon heading into last year where he was drafted by the Chargers, you know, after the production he enjoyed at, at, at Wisconsin in college, just looked like a a sure thing and uh you know didn't find the end zone and then um the main concern for me and everyone else obviously uh occurred the day that i wrote a melvin gordon player update on rotowire which included the word microfracture so microfracture is not necessarily you know a career killer but it's definitely something that you can't um dismiss or you know, just assume that everything's going to be fine it, it, the, because I, I'm not a doctor and, uh, on the rotowire MD cheat sheet, I'm probably not even top 10, but, uh, 
I, I do know that there's different levels of severity and, you know, microfracture can be extremely complicated and, you know, almost like a last resort for some players and other ones, it's just kind of a, you know, improve the healing process type thing. So, um, you know, at his age, his mileage, uh, and the way that he seems to be performing in training camp, it seems like, uh, his knee is fairly sound, but I'm not, you know, he's not question free, but there is the upside, obviously. Yeah, I like him at that price. I mean, microfracture, there's a wide range of procedures that fall under that. It's it's a way that surgery is performed. So the severity of what's being repaired can vary quite a bit from player it's to like player. Root canal surgery. Because like some people you say root canal and they you just think the worst thing ever and other people are like, Oh, it's a piece of cake. They just shrug it off. Yeah, yeah. They've had multiple root canals, so they don't think it's a big deal, I guess. All right, well, that's going to wrap things up for today's episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. For Mike Doria, I'm Derek Van Riper. Vlad and I are back with you on Friday. that by the foot there's no better ride than an old station wagon room for six people facing forward two people facing backward and a whole lot of luggage lumber and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof if you can parallel park that beast you can park anything and with some quality parts and a little napa know-how you can keep your land ship running longer stronger it's not obsolete it's a rare treasure that's napa know-how napa know-how Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.